Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. In this episode, it is the first of our sleep series. We all know we feel rubbish if we don't sleep, but just how important is sleep to our overall health? Very important. So tune into the series to find out why. I want to show how sometimes when I think people hear particularly things like nutrition and health and lifestyle, they can want to run a mile. And I'm quite used to that. I've been in this business quite a long time. I'm quite disciplined. And I think there's many reasons why people want to um, not really embrace the subject. And it's because it's been really badly managed in lots of ways in the past. And my business has kind of been on a journey to be the opposite of everything that I've learned and experienced through my time of working with individual clients. And I think how health is linked in so many ways other than nutrition and what we eat, particularly when the focus on what we eat is counting calories and how much we exercise and those sorts of things. And I think people often make that association of what that is, what nutrition means. Whereas for me, it's it's much more than that. And it's a wonderful world of nutritional science and neuroscience and how things all work and link and how things are all connected and how when you get that, everything makes sense. And you never have to worry about counting calories or doing any of these mad phase diets ever again, because actually you're just in control of your health. So one of the things that we want to do through this program is take you through some of the things that I find um, are sort of common health indicators or common health sort of problems that people have and how nutrition and lifestyle are linked, but perhaps not always in the way that you think. And so the sleep series is really looking at why we sleep we know we all need to sleep but the importance of that sleep but what's happened to us all in the last year and what is going to continue to happen for many ways for some i think this next transition is going to be much more difficult is we're going to have disturbed sleep because we're perhaps going to be worried or anxious or have you know stresses about things that are going on in outside of our control or within our control, um, both of which give us worry, but some we can do something about and some we can't. Anything that keeps us awake at night can have quite a profound effect on our health. And so looking at the sleep series is really trying to just introduce the importance of a good night's sleep, but the factors that we can do to help that and to maybe look a bit deeper into the impact that sleep does have on our overall health. So we all know that we need to sleep. We all know that we get very grumpy if we don't sleep and a bit irritable. Um, what tends to happen, particularly the next day, is that we also have elevated levels of a hunger hormone, ghrelin. And that tends to make us crave the wrong types of food. So when we're tired, we tend to crave sugary, high carbohydrate, high fat foods because that's the body needing energy. And it's the quickest way to get to energy. It's also the most palatable source of energy. So if we can't be bothered, um, cook if we're a bit lethargic the day after not having a good night's sleep then we tend to go for something that we think is easy and perhaps comforting comfort eating is a completely different subject um one which i talk a lot on so when we are when we are tired we may not even know that we're tired because many people get used to and accustomed to getting by with not very much sleep and they'll just say to me well i, I don't need much sleep or just how i am so it's me as it's just it's just me um it doesn't always have to be just the way that you are 
there are often things that we can do. So if feeling irritable, um, hungry, clumsy, unable to sort of make a decision are quite normal to you, then perhaps you're not getting enough sleep or perhaps the time you're spending asleep is not the right kind of sleep. And that may sound strange to you, but we actually have, we're very complicated creatures as humans. And when we sleep, we don't just go to sleep and that's that. We actually have a whole wave of different periods of sleep that we go into and it's in those different periods of sleep our body does lots of its repair and recovery so there are lots of immediate things that we can feel when we are a bit grumpy and a bit tired but there are some deeper things that happen actually when we don't sleep so let's just take a look at a medical quote is medically not the way that I talk um from the Lancet last year no last year was 2020 2019 the year before So why is sleep so important to our health? Well, this quote says sleep loss affects our susceptibility to infections, affects our metabolism and our mental health. And poor sleep habits are a significant risk factor for type 2 diabetes. And this is all to do with that metabolic link. So it modulates and affects our hormones. Stress hormone cortisol and melatonin is our sleepy hormone, the, the, the one that helps us relax and go to sleep. And all of that is linked to glucose metabolism, how effectively we take up the blood sugar and use it for energy rather than leave it floating around in our bloodstream, which is obviously a risk factor for type 2 diabetes. So in a nutshell, to take away the medical terminology, what poor sleep, and this this doesn't is just this isn't just one night poor sleep. You know, you can everybody he has a bad night's sleep now and again. That is absolutely fine. That's normal. We can bounce back from that, like we can bounce back from many things. This is to do with prolonged poor sleep. And poor sleep doesn't just mean not getting very much, it means the quality of sleep you get when you're asleep. So if you have prolonged periods, and that could be a week, two weeks, and anything longer than that, where you don't get a good night's sleep, then these are the immediate things that we'll start to see happening. A weakened immune response. You start to pick up things much easier than you would have done previously. At the moment, obviously, we don't want to be picking things up. (laughs) Not that we ever do, but particularly at the moment, the weakened immune response is actually a really big thing. We don't want that. And we have increased anxiety because everything feels worse when you're tired. Something that you perhaps could deal with quite well, you sort of make feel it feels much worse it escalates into something much bigger because we're tired so we're lacking that cognitive clarity to work through what could be something that we could work through quite easily in a normal circumstance if we were firing on all cylinders but if we're not if we're feeling a bit tired and sluggish then it's not so easy to deal with so things can feel worse and that can lead to prolonged stress and stress and depression although they're different there are associations and there are correlations between the two and mood disorders metabolic conditions as i've said now part of the reason for this is when we are tired we have this increased hormone ghrelin so we tend to eat more of the wrong foods and they create their own cycle of ill health so we crave the wrong foods but they don't fill us up. So we want them again. We want more of them. They create all sorts of metabolic and neurological cycles that are not healthy, but they're very easy to fall into, very easy to fall into, much harder to get out of. And that does increase the risk for obesity and type 2 diabetes. So there are some very real health factors that are very directly linked to our sleep. There's something else we'll look at a little bit later on sometimes cardiovascular health and the direct link there. But And just for all of us generally, we could eat healthily, we could exercise, we could relax, we could do all of those things. But if we still don't sleep, 
None of those things are doing the things that they should do because we're not sleeping. Sleep is when we really need to do our repair and recovery. And that's when that doesn't happen. These things do. So regardless of everything else in your life, if you run every day and you eat well, but you don't sleep very well, it's still a risk factor for your health. Now, when we sleep, as I say, we are really complicated creatures, fascinating and complicated creatures. So when you toddle off to bed and go to sleep, your body's actually setting out on doing an awful lot of work. <laughs> so it needs you to go to sleep to enable it to get into the various stages it goes into to let the body do what it needs to do because it knows what it needs to do at different times, as it always does, to do what it needs to do to help you repair and recover. So through a normal, say, eight hours sleep, you go through four to six different cycles of sleep. Some of them are two to three minutes. Some of them are 20 to 45 minutes. But each of those different cycles are your body's way of, sort of categorizing what it needs to do in that time. And it will do something and then it will move on to something else. So you probably heard of REM sleep, which is the, the rapid eye. Sorry, I'm winking at you now. The rapid eye movement sleep, which is which is when I don't know why, why, the, why I'm winking at you. I do apologize. I'm trying to demonstrate rapid eye movement, which is actually very tricky. And non-rapid eye movement. And these, there's three different stages of non-rapid eye movement or NREM sleep. And that's where we go into a deep stage of the sleep. So really, if, we're, if you sleep but are often disturbed, they could be partner could be you could waking yourself up it could be something else waking you up if you're frequently disturbed you may not be getting into the NREM I can't know why I sound French when I say that non-rapid eye movement stages of sleep are where you are in the deepest stage of sleep and in your deepest stage of sleep is where you really do the rest and recovery we'll come on to the health benefits of the deep sleep a bit later in terms of when your body truly can relax if you're not getting to that stage you may well have been in bed for eight hours you may well have slept for six seven hours but you may never have got to the deep sleep so you may wake up and think oh, I sleep. but you don't feel like you didn't sleep but you just don't feel awake or rested when you wake up and for many people that's where they're at with sleep do sleep, don't struggle to get to sleep, do sleep, don't feel brilliant when they wake up. So it could be that you're going through and not getting into enough of the cycles of the deep sleep where we are really restoring as we move on to restoring here. So while you sleep, one of the most famous sleep theories is, is Oswald about sleep restoration. And the restoration theory really is, is all about how your body repairs and recovers itself while you sleep. And this is, this is my main sort of thinking when I explain sleep to children, because I do a lot of work in early years, it's your body preparing everything that you've done that day and storing it so you can go back to it the next day. And you must, in terms of up here, you're filing cabinet in your head, things you've learned over here. If you don't sleep, where do they go? Because you haven't got that filing system sorted. So you can't remember things the next day. So memory and sleep are very closely linked as well. Memory consolidation takes place while you sleep, part of that restoration of the cognitive function. So in, the, in terms of the Oswald theory, that took place during REM sleep, the, the rapid eye movement sleep, and the deep sleep for your body restoration took place during the, the non rapid eye movement phase. So if you feel you're aching quite a lot through non 
um, ailment, right? so not you don't have a condition, that would mean that you ache, but you just feel generally or ache and pain more than you feel you should or more than you feel you want to. It could be that actually you're not getting the deep, deep body restoration. Muscles need to be repaired. Bones need to not be deteriorating. So we need to do this or the maintenance of our body. As we get older, it's more about maintenance as opposed to anything else. But that that restoration care and maintenance takes place while we sleep. So the body restoration needs a deep phase of sleep to be able to do that. So if you're waking up and feeling not fired up and not rested, but also a bit achy, could be an indication again of not getting enough of that deep sleep. And this is a really interesting theory. So I work a lot. I mean, my role as a nutritional therapist is more of a therapist than a diet coach, I have to admit, um, which is the way that I like it, because actually food is, is very much down here on the list of things with health. If you haven't sorted other things out, then what you eat doesn't make a blind bit of difference, frankly. Um, you need to sort out all the other things that are going on before we can start working on food. But I work a lot with people going through stress and anxiety and things like that. And a really interesting way of, of sort of contextualizing emotions is by your dreams. And so what I often say to people, um, as per Wendy's lovely visual here, is to keep a dream journal. Because actually 75 to 90% of our dreams, whilst they may seem random, very random sometimes, um, they are thought through science. How? Don't ask me to have an emotional context. And that means that actually when, when we are suffering from something, we will dream more vividly. And you may sometimes think, oh, that, I had a dream about that person. I haven't seen them for one. Something may have happened, uh, you, you know, that, that then makes you think of that person and get in touch with that person. There could be a reason why that's happening. And it's a, a very subconscious level. But dreams are a way of processing emotions. So when we sleep and when we dream, we dream of things that are perhaps worrying us or troubling us. And if you're lucky enough to get sleep when you're worried or troubled, then that's good. But dream journals help you to think what's going on in your head that perhaps the daytime thoughts don't let you think about. So it's particularly useful for people with PTSD because often you don't want to go there in your daytime thoughts. It can be something that you shut away. But the body can only shut things away for so long. They have a way of coming out either through physical pain, which stress can manifest as, or through the way they come out in our thoughts at night. So keeping a dream journal can be a really interesting way of actually monitoring those thoughts and contextualizing those emotions. Now, I mentioned I would touch on the link between sleep and coronary heart disease, because as I said earlier, if you're really healthy and you eat well and you exercise and you relax, but you don't sleep, it's still a really big health indicator. So it's an independent risk factor for coronary heart disease is poor sleep. So you even if obviously you're less risk if you exercise and eat healthy, but it's still a risk. It's an it's an increased risk just by not sleeping. Um, so independent risk factor. So you can do everything else right, but not by not sleeping, it's still a risk factor for CHD. Our bodies need to repair themselves. They need to rest and recover. They work incredibly hard all of the time and it can never ever stop working because we know what happens when it does so it needs downtime it needs time when we are not rushing around and thinking all of the time it needs time to repair and recover it can never fully stop we don't want it to fully stop we, we want that to happen in many many years time but it needs it needs to rest that includes our heart and what happens when we sleep is naturally our blood pressure 
and our heart rate should dip. It's called nocturnal dipping. Move on to the next slide where we talk about that. So nocturnal dipping is where we obviously don't stop, but we relax. So our blood pressure drops. It can drop by up to 20% while we sleep, which is good, particularly if you have elevated um, high blood pressure, hypertension. So it drops, the heart rate slows, and that means that there's, it's, it's not working as hard. So it has a bit of a break. Through. And it's not a full break. It's not an eight-hour break. It's only when you're in the deep stage of sleep. So N3, there are three there are three stages of, of non-rapid eye movement sleep. So it's during the third stage that you would have this nocturnal dipping. If you don't go into the deep sleep during that phase, your blood pressure and heart rate don't get the chance to dip, then you have what is now referred to as nighttime elevated blood pressure, which, as you I'm sure you're with me on this one, is, is definitely an increased risk factor for coronary heart disease because it is meaning the heart is working constantly over. It's overworking all of the time. It doesn't even get the chance to nocturnally dip and have that period of respite during the 45 minutes or however long you get into the NREM4. And so it's a really important factor in terms of coronary heart disease. And there's another direct link as well in terms of getting a bit more bio biological here. Um, but we have lots of different um, proteins and things that go on in our body and they're, they're markers for different health conditions. So you, you'll know if you're on any form of medication, you have to go and get things measured, that there'll be different proteins and different things that are measured and marked and things like that. And one of the markers of inflammation is this CRP protein. And if you have a prolonged lack of sleep or as I say you go to sleep but you don't get into the deep stage of sleep so you have a disturbed sleep that prevents you from going to the deep stage of sleep you're much more likely to have higher levels of this CRP which is an inflammation marker and inflammation generally in the body is not welcome and it's not a good thing but it is a risk in this context of cardiovascular health and inflammation is also a, a risk with metabolic conditions and obesity as well. So it's basically, in a nutshell, not something that we want to be having um, increased levels of. I'm just doing a time check, sorry, because I just talk and talk and talk and then often forget to actually look at how long I've been talking for. So they are the sort of the, the direct medical biological associations of not sleeping. So we know what happens when we sleep. I could I could do, well, I'm doing three webinars on this subject. I could have done 12. Sleep is fascinating. So where I could have done a whole one about the stages of sleep because it's fascinating. And so we've seen what happens. We've seen that you have these waves of sleep while you sleep and you don't just go and that's that. You have, you're in a deep sleep, then you're not, then you're, you know, you're in a different cycle. And during those cycles, different things happen. But we need to get into those cycles to enable the body to repair itself and to recover and to restore and to do the filing, if you like, of our cognitive thoughts and processes and memory consolidation. And that's what happens when we sleep. So the quality of sleep we get can often depend on how long it takes us to get to sleep and our bedtime ritual, if we have any, before we get to that stage. And one measure of that, and a very important measure of that, is called your sleep onset latency. And this is the time it takes you to drift off to sleep. So it's not the time you go to bed. It's the time that you then sort of write and go to sleep now. So it could be that you've been reading and then you put your head on the pillow and put the book away and then you try to go to sleep. And then you find that an hour later, you're still awake with thoughts going around in your head. And that would mean your sleep onset latency was longer than an hour. It could be that you know you're lying awake 
um, for three hours, but you find yourself unable to go to sleep. So you get the phone back out and you start scrolling through the phone and, and you're awake for hours, but you're tired, but you're not anywhere near being able to go to sleep because your head is too active. So these factors that would prolong your sleep onset latency will definitely have a direct impact on the quality of the sleep that you get when you do eventually go to sleep. So the, the, the healthiest and the sort of the ideal time for a sleep onset latency would be 15 to 20 minutes. No longer than that. Ideally, even less than that. But anything longer than 15 to 20 minutes is starting to be a concern in terms of health because if it's longer than that, your thoughts are very active. What's that then going to contextualize into your thoughts when you go into sleep? Are you going to be relaxed enough to go into non-rapid eye movement, deep sleep stage three, to go into that deep repair for the nocturnal dipping, for the cardiovascular benefits? Are you going to be in that deep stage of sleep where you get the body repair? So the longer you have for the sleep onset latency, the less likely you are to go into the deep stages of sleep. You may just fluctuate between REM sleep and stage one and two and not get into the deep sleep. So you may think I eventually got to sleep and had six hours, but those six hours may not be a good quality sleep. So the sleep onset latency is really important. And as I say, bedtime ritual. Now, our body is extremely clever, but we tend to work against it a lot of the time. Our body has a natural internal body clock, the circadian rhythm. So we know when to be awake, we know when to be alert, we know when we need to be doing things. And then we also biologically know when to be shutting things down and going into the sleep cycle. Now, there's many things that our modern world works against that circadian rhythm. The most obvious is light. <laughs> so in the winter, if we just go by natural lighting, everyone's a bit more tired in the winter. Everyone just wants to hibernate, to shut the door and the curtains, to have a lamp on and to be in our pyjamas by six o'clock because it's pitch black outside. So it must have been our pyjamas. But in the summer, we still have the natural light, but we feel much more awake because it's, it's summer and it's brighter. And that's fine. That's normal. As humans, you know, OK, we're not bad. So we, went, we didn't go into hibernation, but we were not as active. You know, we would, we would have not done as much. So we would have conserved energy. So that biological light is fine, the natural light. But we have obviously introduced lots of artificial light. And the biggest artificial light that prevents sleep is our phones, our screen time, because they emit the, the blue light, which keeps us awake. It actually confuses the body into stopping production of melatonin. The melatonin is our hormone that we start to produce when it's time to go into the sleep cycle. So it could be, I know for me, it kicks in at about nine o'clock at night because I'm worse than useless. And by 10 o'clock, I need to be in bed. So I know that my, my melatonin is kicking in and I'm relaxed. I'm very relaxed. And then I need to go to bed. That's fine. In the winter, it's slightly earlier. Um, if I, if I did, some people say, oh, I do my work at night. No, not a chance. It wouldn't, wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. It just would not work. My, my melatonin would prevent me from working in the evening. And that's fine. I can work with that. Um, but if if we if I was to force myself because of the light given off from my screen and because of the, the artificial light, my body would think, well, can't be bedtime. I must wake up, stop producing melatonin and um, they make me fire up and, and more awake. But if you are lying in bed and scrolling, doing the scrolling of doom, which is also not 
recommend it just because of what you're likely to be seeing is likely to be causing disturbed thoughts, especially if it's social media. Um, the light will be confusing the body as well. So it will be thinking, why am I lying in bed when it's not when I'm doing this? I should be doing this. I need to be awake. And it will just be a very confusing um, state for the body. And then we, we, we hope to put the phone down and go to sleep. Well, it's not going to happen because the body's too confused. So we need to consider the bedtime ritual. And um, we do it for children. We do it for babies. We give them a nice bath. We dim the lights. We hear our voices. You know, we make sure everything's nice. We read them a story and then it's all lovely and they have a lovely night's sleep, hopefully. And we don't so much do it for ourselves. We rush around. We maybe have a glass of wine, which, of course, may help you feel tired, but it will not get you into the deep places of sleep. It will affect the quality of sleep that you have. Um, we may try and do some work. We may rush around. We may have things on our mind. Um, and then we just lie down and think, sleep now. It's not going to come naturally. We need to prepare our body. We need to work with our body in terms of getting into helping our body with the circadian rhythm. There are things we can do in the daytime that help. Being physically active is a really good way of helping because we are more physically tired. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense. If we're physically tired, our body will be more ready for sleep. If you do exercise a lot, you do need that body restoration. So you do need to make sure you're going into a deep sleep because your muscles need to repair. They, they have little tiny tears in them when you use them, especially if you do weight training, things like that. That's why you ache. That's why you get delayed muscle onset soreness. So when you do that, when you exercise, those little tears that your muscles get need to be knitted, knitting, knitted back together again. That happens when you sleep. That's what happens to repair your muscles and make them stronger. You don't sleep while the repair doesn't take place as much because the things that need to get to it are going to other places. And so being physically active is great for making us physically tired, but we then need to make sure that we are restoring our body when we are asleep. The other obvious benefit of being physically active is that all those wonderful hormones, endorphins, serotonin, everything that we produce to make us feel good when we exercise are great at reducing stress and anxiety. So if your long period of sleep onset latency is because you have lots of thoughts arisen around your head, if you are able to readjust your hormonal balance by having some feel-good hormones and some relaxation hormones, serotonin, mood stabilizer makes you feel calm and content. And the other wonderful thing about serotonin is it converts to melatonin, which makes you sleepy. And so exercise, physical activity is really good for readdressing the hormonal balance and helping us to sleep. Cheese dreams. Who's had cheese dreams? Cheese dreams. I, I do like cheese, but I cannot eat it after seven o'clock at night. Oh, I have the most ridiculous dreams. Um, don't ask me to explain why, um, but nutrition can obviously help or hinder a good night's sleep. So as I said, having a glass of wine may seem like a good idea, but it is like quality sleep that you have. I'm not saying don't have one. That's not what I do. I'm just saying it will potentially affect the quality sleep that you have. A nightcap, many people have it and it's fine. It can work. It can be absolutely fine. We do tend to get used to what we do and that's fine as long as you don't suffer from any of the things that I mentioned earlier on, which are signs that perhaps your sleep is not as good as you think it is. So there are some foods that can help to boost melatonin production. And the, the old wives tale of having a glass of milk before bed is absolutely true. So again, we give milk to children before bed um, and there's something in it biologically. So dairy projects contain tryptophan, which is an amino acid. Tryptophan, the amino acid, converts to serotonin, mood stabilizing hormone, makes you feel calm and content. But serotonin turns to melatonin. So not only do you feel calm, you then feel sleepy. So uh, really good. If you can stomach a glass of milk before bed, why not try it? So there are lots of other foods that do the same thing in terms of using melatonin. 
And there are lots of other things that can hinder us getting a good night's sleep. Caffeine, the obvious one. Um, some people are fine. Some people, it doesn't affect them. Some people, a cup six hours ago can affect them getting to sleep. So we all know our own caffeine tolerances and when we can have a last cup of coffee in the day. Um, and we have to remember that because it can stay in the system for up to eight hours. So depending on the strength of the coffee you have, it can impact you getting off to sleep. High sugary foods, obviously, are another factor. Um, high sugary foods, uh, I'm not against people enjoying you know, what they enjoy, but I would love people to be more aware of the, the addictive side of these foods and to see the cycle that is so easy to fall into. So with a high sugar food, if you have it very late at night, obviously your blood sugar is going to do this and spike. It's going to go right up and through the roof, but then it's going to drop. And when it drops, you're going to feel a bit rubbish and your mood drops. So going back to those thoughts, and sleep onset latency. If your mood drops, you produce cortisol, you're a bit stressed, it's going to increase your anxiety, you're going to increase your worry, your thoughts going around in your head, you're going to be going around the cycle. Last thing that you want to do last thing at night is to be having your thoughts spiraling out of control because of sugar. High fat food will do the same thing. And generally high fat and sugar tend to be, particularly if it's processed food, packaged in the same horrible combination of which will a biologically horrible combination which will keep you awake at night so oh i have with i said 20 minutes i've actually done 30 so i do apologize but there's much to talk about um much to talk about and what we're going to cover next time in the sleep series is actually i've, I've touched on sleep onset latency but we're going to talk about the daytime thoughts and how daytime thoughts can impact on your nighttime sleep and all about reducing that sleep onset latency with what can we do to reduce that which then enables that deep sleep that we need to be going into the one after that we're going to introduce what foods support that so I touched on them there again we do much more detail about those things that how nutrition is linked to sleep and how the things that help and hinder a good night's sleep when it comes to food. Um, but that is the end of this whistle-stop introduction to sleep and health, which I'm sure, I'm hoping you will agree is a fascinating subject. Um, so I am Louise Monsieur, nutritional therapist, um, very different to what you may consider somebody who works in nutrition to be. i I look at the whole picture of health and food whilst I love it and whilst it is very important, it is not the be all and end all. If you have a really healthy plate but a really unhealthy mind, your body is still body and mind is still going to be unhealthy, unfortunately. So we have to make sure everything is aligned. How you think, how you move, how you feel. Those things drive what you eat. So the food is always the last thing that I look at with people. You've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Massier, discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child, or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production.